Welcome to Comeback Journeys in Recovery, inspirational interviews with those who are recapturing their peak wellness after a trauma such as an addiction, major accident or illness, or bereavement. We'll also hear from professionals on ways you can regain your own peak wellness. I'm David Shadbolt, and my wish for you is that you'll discover more friendships, confidence, joy, and energy as you lead a more fulfilling life. Episode 6, a conversation with Joyce Gannon on recovering from a critical illness that occurred in Tuscany while on a wedding anniversary holiday. As a professional nutritionist, Joyce Gannon has designed nutrition education programs for school teachers in British Columbia, became the head of the British Columbia's Ministry of Health Nutrition Department, and then Executive Director of Continuing Care in the Ministry of Health. Joyce is an author and public speaker. Welcome, Joyce. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure. You've had a very interesting career, Joyce. I have. Um, I guess I I entered uh, the working life at a time that was good for many Canadians entering working life uh, in the early 60s. And as a woman, uh, although the glass ceiling was always there, there were lots of opportunities as well. And uh, so I followed uh, my passion um, through my life, whether it was investigating health or whether it was learning about business. um, I was able to really live a very full life. You were indeed, but... um... But life was probably not, uh, you must have had your setbacks in life. We all do. <laughs> oh, I, I did. Uh, I really regard uh, my life has been uh, full of wonderful things. But uh, when you challenge yourself, you also come up against challenges that uh, cause you trouble. And uh, my life is no different than anybody else's. Um, And so life is filled with surprises and not all of them are delightful. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, in many regards, I was, I've been very blessed in that I've been able to pursue uh, and learn and more than anything else, focus on how can I help others? Um, That's always been my focus. That's terrific. I'd like to explore uh, some of those uh, opportunities you had earlier in life during our conversation, but I'd like to find out what happened four and a half years ago when you were on holiday in Tuscany. Well, that was quite a surprise. That's one of the not so delightful surprises. We were um, planning our day. Uh, It was our 25th wedding anniversary celebration trip, and we were in Tuscany after many years of talking about wanting to go there, Um, got up and had a wonderful morning tea when the beautiful Tuscan light and all of a sudden I was hit with excruciating pain in my lower abdomen and eight and a half hours later having thought it would go away, uh, I was at the hospital and undergoing surgery for a perforated bowel. 
which I'd let go too long, of course, because all of the fluids from my bowel had gone into my um, cavity, peritoneal cavity, and um, I ended up with sepsis, and I, I very nearly died. Wow. That, um, when you say you very nearly died, um, what was the um, feedback from the medical professionals then at that time? Well, um, the, you know, they're very matter, matter of fact, and let's face it, we were in a different country, so exploring the details of um, the surgery, etc., was limited. But um, uh, when you, it isn't just the surgery, when you have that kind of trauma to your body, it's the infection that happens afterwards, and I did have a very serious infection and I was in ICU for six and a half days um, struggling more with the with the infection than with the original problem and um, when when I was in surgery I had my first near-death experience uh, of that time and um, and then when I was in ICU I subsequently had another uh, near-death experience again because of the infection high fever um, just my body was shutting down um, near-death experience how how do you know it was a near-death experience and not the influence of the drugs or painkillers that you were taking well um, I didn't have any painkillers uh, prior to the surgery other than a local, which uh, doesn't cause anything. I've had out-of-body experiences through my life during meditation. So I'm very aware of what an out-of-body experience was. This was far more profound than any out-of-the-body experience I've ever had. And um, the light that I came to during that near-death experience is a light that, to my knowledge, is only ever described in a near-death experience situation. Um, and certainly the deep peace and comfort that I received during that was nothing um, short of miraculous. I know that I react to morphine because later in ICU, they gave me two, two nights in a row, I received morphine and I had horrible, absolutely horrible hallucinations. There was nothing peaceful about the effects of that drug on me. After that, I refused any painkillers and I used my own skills to manage my pain. So the anxiety and fear and pain, all of those must have required a great deal of inner resources. Where, where, where did these resources come from? Well, anybody that knows me will tell you that I'm a very strong person, first of all. <laughs> Stubborn? <laughs> Stubborn. And just, you know, very a lot of determination if i decide i'm going to do something i i will do it yes um and 
my decision to live because I did have a decision to live or die. I believe I did. Um, I decided to live and I decided not to have painkillers and both of those required me dipping into the resources that you mentioned. And that takes me back to my life and the resources and skills and experience that I had that I could draw on. Would you like me to talk about those now or what would yeah, you like? Yeah, I, I would because um, I think uh, it's my um, understanding from my own life experience and listening and reading to other people that it's those periods of trial in our life that makes us stronger and enables us to grow and become more aware of who we are in, as individuals and, and of those around us. When did you first start getting some insight into meditation or something other than the physical body that we inhabit? I think um, I have to go to back to, I had childhood um, situations where, um, you know, I'd be involved going to church and so on, but probably the the one that really um, caused me to stop and think about who I was and how I was living was in grade 10 when um, a girl, a new girl, arrived at the door of our homeroom class and she came in and talked to our teacher. Um, a very good friend of mine and I were sitting across the aisle from one another and there was an empty seat in front of me. We had rows of desks at that time. And um, so the teacher just basically said to her, you know, go down and, and sit in that desk in front of them. And so the girl did, and she came down the, the aisle and sat down, and she dropped an instrument on the uh, ground. It was a flat, strange slate thing. And she turned, she turned down to pick it up, and looked over at uh, my friend and then behind at me and she said hi my name's sue i just escaped from the jericho school for deaf and blind oh, and we um, we just we hadn't realized she was blind she was so confident you know walking down the aisle sitting down and she had such a mischievous look on her face and we just fell instantly in love with her. And um, we, three of us, became fast friends. And um, she taught us Braille so that we could help her with her note taking. And we would meet after, at the end of the day at a little drive-in place where, you know, the booze, the classic 50s, 60s diner where you got the jukeboxes and everything. And we'd sit there and have a Coke and go through our notes of the day. And uh, it was amazing to my friend and I that Sue always, if she was the one that sat and listened in class while the others of us were taking Braille or longhand notes, she always learned more than we did. And we found that fascinating. Like, she can't see the board, but she's, all she's doing is listening and she's picking up so much. And then one day she said to me, Joyce, that color looks beautiful on you. It's, it's blue, it's a deep blue. And I said, Sue, I thought you were blind. And she said, I am, of course you know that. Well, how do you know it's deep blue? And she said, well, colors give off 
different kinds of warmth. And um, I know that that's deep blue. I think it's called periwinkle blue because wow. I, I, I held periwinkle flowers in my hand once and that's what it feels like. And I said, wow. And then I said, well, how do you know it looks beautiful for me? And she said, well, um, I can feel that you feel beautiful in it. So it looks beautiful for you. And mm. at that moment, I realized I was just passing through life. You know, I was a good student. I was active. You know, it's not that I was doing nothing. But I was missing a whole dimension of life. And I hadn't realized it before. And she taught me that. And um, at that moment, I decided that I was going to start becoming far more aware of life and really trying to absorb each and every moment and what it has to offer. And to this day, uh, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't open my eyes. I do everything that I need to do, whether it's heat up some milk in the microwave or pour a glass of water or whatever, I, um, I do it without my eyes open. And I try to take that time to listen to how full is the cup with the milk? How warm is it when I just hold the cup? Where is that number? on the microwave button pad that gives me the right amount of temperature. And, and by doing that, I feel that my life has expended, expanded um, way beyond what I ever would have had if I hadn't met Sue. So that's my first experience. That's amazing. Uh, you were blessed with that experience and in meeting Sue. Um, I, Totally. I mean, and she was so much fun to boot, you know. <laughs> we got into lots of trouble, too. <laughs> well, let's, let's not go there, Joyce. All right. Okay. <laughs> so um, did that sort of, you were obviously already predisposed to working with others and that experience with Sue and developing those, those, extra, those extra senses, the, the ability that we all have, but obviously ignore or don't mm -hmm. open ourselves up to did that um, influence your career um, in nutrition and it certainly influenced me uh, later once I had my degree in nutrition and I love science which is mm -hmm. why I ended up uh, in that field there weren't that many professions available for women back then you could be a home economist a teacher or a nurse and um, home economics was the route to nutrition, so I took that route. Mm -hmm. um, when I started working with people, I realized that the science of nutrition was as adequate as any science can be as it's you know, evolving. But there was a whole dimension of nutrition that was missing and that I felt was needed in order to make a difference in people's lives. And that was to do with the relationship of the food with the person. Um, it's not a matter of an ingredient. It's a matter of the meaning of the food and what it provides you, the enjoyment it provides you as well. Because if you treat food as a vitamin pill, 
it's not going to be long before you're not paying attention to it anymore. And mm -hmm. food has so many different cultural and emotional meanings. I felt that to be a really good nutritionist, I needed to be able to help people explore that side of food as well. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that interest came from my experience with Sue. I think that understanding came from my appreciation of how she lived her life. Joyce, I see uh, reading um, something of your life experiences that you've quite varied. You've had eight or nine different careers and you worked in Africa and you've studied uh, East-West medicine, which includes meditation. We don't really have time to go into all of those, those areas, but let's go back to four and a half years ago. You, how long were you in the hospital? I was in the hospital for 13 days. Um, mm. Six and a half of the, well, half and half uh, recovery and uh, ICU. And, and um, what was the end result? When you left that hospital, where were you at uh, physically? <laughs> I could barely walk. Um, it is amazing the muscle mass that goes, the coordination that goes when you are absolutely flat on your back for six and a half days. And even when I went into the recovery ward, I, um, I had so much fluid on my lungs that it was, and they had to drain it um, by putting tubes into my lungs um, or into my cavity, um, lung cavity. Um, I really wasn't able to get up and start moving until about four days before discharge. And I could barely, I couldn't walk. I didn't know how to move my feet. I was not able to stay upright. My core um, muscles had been completely cut apart. Um, so I was, in a, I was in pretty shaky stage when I was discharged. Mm. Um, and I, I would say that as far as my experiences were concerned, my life experiences, living the moment was really what got me through each and every day. And whether it was forcing my brain to start learning how to walk again, or whether it was lying absolutely still because that's what I needed to do, living by the moment was the thing that kept me going. And that truly is meditation. I, I was in a meditative state for close to 13 days, I'd say. Yeah, that's, that's, really, that's, that's really impressive and quite a story. So when you were discharged you, and you came back to Canada, um, how was your uh, rehabilitation, shall we say, the recovery process? Well, um, I, I was just discharged, and then we, we went back to um, our little apartment in Tuscany for four days. I was in no shape to travel. Mm. Um, and really, I probably wasn't in any shape to travel on the way home, but I did. Um, it was, I, I would say it took me three to four weeks before I could really contemplate walking for more than a half a block. And I did that leaning on my husband's arm. And it, so the rehabilitation took a very long time. Um, we have a wonderful physiotherapist in our community, and she actually came to our house uh, within the first couple of days um, to just help us 
learn how to move me around because I was relying on my husband to lift me in and out of bed and that was going to cause him health problems. So when you're talking about, you know, recovery of the individual, you have to make sure you're not causing injury of the caregiver, (laughs) (laughs) which was a real possibility. Um, But she certainly gave me exercises to gently, gently start working the core Mm -hmm. and and rehabilitating me. And so I worked with her for a while and then I went to um, a personal fitness coach who Mm -hmm. understood what we were dealing with. We were not dealing with someone that was going to enter an Ironman contest anytime soon. (laughs) It was a matter of... Disappoint me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Getting just the basics back the balance uh, the quickness of motion the uh, the core strength um, and doing it in a gentle forgiving way and you know stretching i was always i could always sort of hyperextend. i was so flexible and even now i've never retained the limberness that i used to have it mm. just has gone um i haven't given up but no. <laughs> I don't know, four and a half years later, I might have to learn that I also aged during that time. <laughs> Joyce, what's, um, I, I, you have written a book about your experience, I believe. I have, yes. Mm. Um, I have, a, the, the book is called No Fear in Death Light, uh, My Hospital Adventure in Tuscany. So you can tell probably what, what it's all about. It certainly is the experience of being in death's light. I wanted to give the reassurance of the beauty that I experienced in the piece. I also wanted to talk in that book about life as it is. It, illness and dying can be messy, and I don't think we should hide that under the carpet. And I think we should pull it out and in some ways celebrate it. Um, what's wrong with celebrating the messy? There's nothing really wrong with it. And the more accepting we are of it, perhaps the more we can be aware of what's happening in other people's lives and be respectful, but also not avoid the topic, not make people feel that the messiness that they are going through is something that they shouldn't be talking about. And the subtitle, My Hospital Adventure in Tuscany, should give the reader an idea that it also has a bit of fun attached to it. Um, <laughs> that life, life offers you both, and it's a good idea to take a look at the whole thing that you're being offered instead of just what you prefer. Often, um, it's the yin and yang of life, I like to think. Um, the good and the bad uh, often complement one another and make the good seem even more beautiful. And that's the role. Where can, um, how can they get hold of this, this book? I'm sure there's a lot of readers out there like myself who you know, have some uncertainty or anxiety about aging, about what happens when we die. Maybe we have a lot of fear or anxiety, you know, even low-level anxiety. And this book would be comforting, I think, for so many people. How could they get hold of it? 
Well, they can, uh, it's available on all of the electronic uh, suppliers, whether it be amazon.com, amazon.ca, Kobo, Kindle, um, Barnes and Noble, iBooks. And it's just either uh, look up my name, um, Choice Kanong, or No Fear in Death Light, and it will show up. It's available in print and in um, uh, electronic version. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I I think that um, of of the cop I received, I'd say about twenty percent of the books that I've sold, or twenty five percent of the books that I've sold, I've received feedback from people. And certainly the sense of reassurance about death and dying and illness is one comment that I get. The other one, which is related to the fun of the title, is I couldn't put it down. At least I hope it's related to the fun of the title. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We don't have much time, um, but before we finish our conversation, uh, what would you like to leave as a, say, a final message with our listeners? I, I would really like people to feel that they are able to draw down inside of themselves and find strength, that their life experiences, whatever they are, will help them move through trauma. And if people, if your listeners haven't done Uh, any personal learning around meditation or moment-to-moment living, um, I really recommend that they do that. Um, There are so many variations of meditation. You do not have to be in a lotus position. I have a labyrinth in my garden, and I do walking meditations frequently. Walking in the forest, when you're just listening to your breathing and absorbing the light around you can be a form of meditation. So you don't have to sit still and you don't have to wear a robe and you don't have to be able to do a lotus. You can lotus position. You can, you can meditate wherever you are. Mm, Wonderful. It's been a great pleasure, Joyce. Um, Uh, listening to you talk about your experiences and having you contribute to this series. I wish you well in the future, and I hope um, we have an opportunity to talk again in the future. That would be wonderful. Okay. I wish you well with your podcast. Thank you, David. Thanks, Joyce. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Comeback Journeys in Recovery with David Shadbolt. For more podcast episodes and blog posts, or to subscribe to my newsletter, please visit www.peaksymmetry.com. Peak, P-E-A-K, symmetry, S-Y-M-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Subscribers to the Peak Symmetry newsletter will receive a free download of a guided meditation. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening.